Comics The Final Frontier These are the chronicles of the podcast Tomb of Ideas Our ongoing mission to explore strange Marvel comics to seek out weird storylines and creepy characters to boldly go where no podcast has gone before Log, episode 108.2024.02. As our mission continues through our reading of weird Marvel comics, we've made a sudden strange detour through a temporal rift, encountering a strange dimension with beings very different from the characters we are used to. If you're done, John, bub, we need to introduce our guest! Excuse me? You, you, you interrupted my, my log recording here. I'm about to interrupt a lot more than that, bub. You don't interrupt, introduce Andy Leyland here. Oh, oh uh, hi, hello. Andy. Well, welcome to I the show. I was just getting comfy sitting on my temporal rift. <laughs> <laughs> That's what she said. We we should get into things before James gets too into character and sprouts some bone claws. Uh, so. Oh, 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 no. <laughs> In any case, you're listening to Tomb of Ideas, uh, ostensibly a Marvel horror podcast. But today, <laughs> we, we are in fact taking a, a strange detour into the world of Marvel Paramount Corporate Synergy, <laughs> circa late 1990s. We threatened to do it, so we're doing it. <laughs> yes, yes, we talked about it, and then in talking about it, convinced ourselves it was a good idea. Thank you, it's me. And now that we're doing it. Idea. We're not so sure. <laughs> <laughs> and so, we have invited Andy Leyland along with us to go on this journey through the two Star Trek X-Men Marvel Comics crossovers. Yes. Right. I'll thank you <laughs> at some point. So, Andy, this is a big week for Mar- Sorry, Star Trek crossovers for you, right? Because you guys are doing it on Hey Kids. Yeah, on Hey Kids Tomorrow, Comics. in fact. Tomorrow. Not only do you guys get name-checked, because we knew that we were doing this when I recorded that episode. You get another Star Trek crossover with a popular promete, the Planet of the Apes. Now, I know Trey will be there for that, because he loves some Planet of the Apes. I, I, I certainly will. I went ahead yes. and read the book. It was you did. That interesting. Was the minute that I mentioned it, I was very impressed by your diligence. You actually went and read the comic. And I don't think oh, it's available it... anymore, because Planet of the Apes, the license to Planet of the Apes, is now with Marvel. It's It's on Hoopla. The library service, which I don't think you got that in the UK, no. because now now Planet of the Apes is looped in with the what do they call it the twentieth century yeah, comics or twentieth century comics. Yeah. So they have same with Predator and Alien. And... So they've and Marvel as of this recording are in the midst of the second Planet of the Apes miniseries. This one is an original movie miniseries, whereas the first one was a, a re- well, kind of requel, wasn't it? The three new ones. 
Yeah. They weren't really reboots. Yeah. They weren't sequels. They were kind of we're just going to expand on the backstory. Off doing yeah, its we're, own going thing. To inve- we're going to basically remake Escape from the Planet of the Apes, but not really. Right. I should check out that second one. I, I don't think I realized it was more in continuity with the originals. Yeah, well, the first issue is out. Second issue is out soon, so maybe even this week. Um, it's it's good. I'm still holding judgment because it's got a little bit of prequelitis to it. Like characters mm-hmm. are doing stuff that you're like, they shouldn't really know that yet. And I won't spoil it for you until right. you've read it, but maybe we should do a show about that at some point. We should, now that there's enough material out there, I, I think it's definitely in the realm of possibility that we cover some of the Marvel alien and Predator. We, we definitely want to do Wolverine versus Predator at some point. All right, I've not read that. Yeah. Because that's right in our wheelhouse. And certainly some of the Planet of the Apes stuff could be a nice follow-up to when we talked about the Planet of the Apes yeah, magazine. Yeah, the stuff. Yep, yep. Anyway, Although no maybe we today. should actually... Oh, go on, James. Yeah, we should actually put it... No, no. ...in April, since you, it's April, rather than <laughs> our forced March of the Apes, which we did, and didn't even realize that we'd just wait 30 days. We would have a much better pun. <laughs> yeah, so... Although, it, I don't think... Any pun we can come up with could be good as Star Treks. Oh, yeah. Which is the yeah. I was very <laughs> impressed with that. I mean, you, you kind of think there was a missed opportunity there when you made Nemesis, wasn't there? That they, that's yeah. that's oh, yeah. really what they should have called it. I mean, it would have been the coolest thing about that film, to be honest with you. Yeah, Star Treks yeah. or Star Trek X-Men. And I know what you're thinking, and you're right. That sounds like a dreadful idea. Well, you're half right was written by Scott Lobdell and it was penciled by right, you're sitting down, because this may take a while Matt Silvestri, <laughs> Billy Tam, Anthony Wynn David Finch with background assists by Brian Ching, inks were by Bat, whether he's Batman or Bat Masterson it doesn't say, D-Tron Billy Tan, Aaron Soud and Joe Weems the Fifth with ink assists by Victor Lamas, Team Tron Jose Jag Gillen, or Gwillen possibly, Viet Trung, and Mike Manzaret. So, methinks that this was up against a deadline. Yeah, maybe a little bit. So, it, it, it's also, it, it's essentially, those are all people from the Top Cow Productions bullpen. Basically, there was passing pages around. Right, so so I think Silvestri founded Top Cow, and so it's basically Silvestri and his team. Uh, this is David Finch just blundered in one sort, day. Sort of like how, uh, sort of like how back in the day, Neil Adams at Continuity yeah. would just sort of, if if they were on a deadline, would pass pages around. That's why Spider-Man, Superman ends up with so many different inkers. Mm-hmm. David Finch right. must have popped in for dinner because he only did one page. <laughs> Neil, do you want to go for lunch? Yeah, Dave. Why are you here? Do you mind doing us a favor? Okay. <laughs> no problem. All right, story. You're gonna love this. They returned to Delta Vega, the crew of the USS Enterprise, where they re-encounter Gary Mitchell, which was actually quite cool, only to find that the Shi'ar Empire and the X-Men are also the team-up shenanigans ensue. Yeah, basically. <laughs> That's pretty much it. I, I do like that the Enterprise's first real sort of notion that they're not in Kansas anymore is when Gladiator of the Imperial Guard shows up. <laughs> and punches the ship. Yeah. The thing with this... Did he just punch my ship? I love that. <laughs> the thing with this is, I think that this first one lends itself to this more 
than I thought it was going to. I'd never read these before you invited me on to do these because I thought, quite frankly, it was a terrible idea. <laughs> but the original Star Trek was quite happy to embrace the weird and the fantasy and comedy, outright comedy episodes in ways that subsequent Trek until Strange New Worlds have always been a little scared of doing. Like, Berman Trek was famously terrified of doing comedy. You're joking. A joke is a story with a humorous climax. So, yes. this first one, this Star Trek X-Men one, surprised me by actually working quite well. And certainly the first 20-odd pages worth of art by Mark Silvestre, he does an exceptionally good job with the likenesses, particularly Shatner, who is notoriously hard to get right. His spot looks a little bit stockier than perhaps he should look. But he's D. Kelly's pretty much spot on as well. Yeah, wasn't cre- he's not in it a whole lot, but I wasn't as fond of his checkoff. No, and he's Scotty's kind of generic Something's as well. Something's a little off in yeah. the face. But, in every, yeah. but like you said, Chekhov, Sulu, her and Scotty don't really play a part in this. So it really felt like an episode of the show. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and you know, revisiting Gary Mitchell is yep. cool and lends itself to this kind of trans-dimensional thing. Because once you add a reality-warping character into the mix, sure, you can sort of do anything with that. Yeah. And I like that it's a kind of, like, zombie Gary Mitchell reanimated by Proteus. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that was another yeah. thing I felt about this one as well. I didn't feel that the continuity in this one was egregious. I can't say that about the Right, it doesn't one. undo the death of... Right. Yeah, and I also... If you'd not seen Where No Man Has Gone Before, but you had a... You know, you'd watched Star Trek and knew the characters, well, you could still follow this. If you hadn't read those Proteus issues of X-Men, you could still follow this story. He doesn't have too many X-Men in the story that are confusing... I'm not a massive X-Men fan. You know, my X-Men phase was was Burning Austin and Clermont, the Paul Smith era, into John Jr., and then I ditched it around 210, 220, and never really went back. But I know X, but I know Cyclops, I know Phoenix, I know the Beast, I know Storm, and I know Bishop, and obviously Wolverine. Mm-hmm. So it, it didn't really matter to me that I didn't know X-Men continuity that well. And Scott Lobdell does a really good job in this of not only keeping you up to speed if you've only got vague familiarity with Because let's be honest, if you're buying this, you're going to know what Star Trek is and you're going to know who the X-Men are. Even if you're someone yeah. like me, who right. didn't know a lot about the X-Men, I know enough about the X-Men to be able to read this and go, all right, I know who these guys are. And he, he does a good job of keeping it ticking over and telling his story without the continuity references getting in the way. Well, and it also helps It also helps that the the formula of Star Trek allows for a fair amount of exposition anyway. Mm. You have characters like Kirk constantly sort of narrating things that have already happened and making those connections more explicit. They also hedged their they also hedged their yes. bets a bit by basically putting the Saturday morning cartoon team in this yes. comic. Which is very smart of them. Yeah. I mean especially because this was what, late ninety six. Yeah. So yeah, that that would have been just after the heyday of the cartoon. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the only kind of person that isn't necessarily like a mainstay of the cartoon is Bishop, but I'm watching through the show right now, and Bishop shows up enough times that kids will know who Bishop is. Mm. Sure. You know, the structure of this, the, the opening of it, as you said, just feels like an episode of the show. So Lobdell nails the characterization, particularly Kirk and Spark. And if you think that after Guardian shows up, 
and says, leave now and you will live. You can hear dun 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 yep. opening credits. Yeah. It's it's a little bit like Abraham Lincoln appearing in outer space, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I actually, it was more redolent to me of who mourns for Adonais. Yes. When yes. Apollo shows up. Oh, it's that giant hand, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yes. But when that happens, I felt I could easily see that musical sting straight into credits there. And that's a cracking teaser. Yeah. Not many good pieces um, of art in this. Very much. Like the splash page shot of Kirk Spock McCoy is brilliant. He nails Shatner's body mm-hmm. language. I have no fault with the art in the first half of the issue at all. Like the shot of Kirk on page, is it six? Just after the Guardian thing where you would go to opening credit, there's a shot of Shatner at the bottom of that page there that he's just brilliant. Mm-hmm. But he's not over reliant on photo reference. At no point in reading this. Right, it doesn't look like he's traced Yeah, a I'm not doing that thing I do with modern day Star Wars comics where you're watching it going, right, that's from Empire, that's from Jedi, where you can pinpoint where they've ripped the screen print from. This, yep. it's proper yeah. comics art, but he's doing decent likenesses. That said, uh, there are a few instances in this book where the X-Men characters and the Star Trek characters are standing side by side and you're just like, wow, there are completely different character models. That's so. I, I think the the approach to detail is different it, for the the mutant characters versus the Trek characters. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's a realism going on in his approach to Star Trek because it's a real television show with real actors, and that's the disconnect with me. That's why I always thought it was a silly idea. The minute you meet the X Men on page, there's no page numbers on this. So I have no idea what page number it is. Page mm-hmm. eleven. It's just after Gladiator, yeah. yeah. The minute that appears, you're like, all oh, right, I'm reading a Marvel comic now. And it kind of snaps you out of it a bit. And mm-hmm. had the X-Men mm-hmm. movies happened by this point, which they haven't, I think this would have worked better if it had been the X-Men from the at least drawn in the costumes they were in the film. Because I mm-hmm. kind of think... Or or even if, if you could push it off just a few years and have them in... The, the Morrison Quitely mm. New X-Men uniform. Because no the, one... The black and yellow no leather. No one looks more comic-y than Jean Grey. And it's her yes. that constantly brings you out of it. You can kind of get away with Bishop and Wolverine. And certainly the Beast just looks like any alien you may see on Star Trek. But every right. time I see Jean, especially on like page 13 or 14, where she's... Page 15, where she's mm. in a... Where Storm, sorry, is in a typical comic pose, arse out arched back so that you're looking at that and it, it that disconnect happens quite a lot in it but Lobdell does a good enough job with the story that it didn't take me out as much as I thought it was going to yeah but like you talk about Bishop there I mean there are several points where I look at Bishop and like you could you could fit three crewmen in Bishop mm. in Bishop's chest <laughs> alone yes or even like the there's a page in, in the sick bay where at the top there's a panel with storm in it at the bottom there's a panel with nurse chapel mm. in it and the human for like the anatomy is completely yeah. different he's drawing real people when he draws nurse chapel and dr mccoy and and call it hand waving or no prizing or whatever you can sort of say okay they're from different dimensions therefore they're physiologically different that explains a little bit of it but, 90s comic art explains the rest yeah. absolutely and and it certainly I think gets the discrepancy gets stronger as the book goes on as other artists are taking over. Yes, I think part of it is that it was very much a dictate that like you have to be a model for the books right now. 
you can't stray or like find an evil even ground between two because like can you imagine if this book had been drawn by like Mike Allred like a consistent right. style throughout yeah it would have been amazing yeah and it like, is for the first there half. have been let's be honest despite mm-hmm. those little things where it does take you out a little bit where the X-Men comics characters show up on the bridge of the Enterprise for the most part the first half of this when Sylvester's handling the art it's actually quite impressive there's nothing mm-hmm. more that emphasise what you say Trey than page 21 where, where the X-Men show up on the bridge that yes. there is what you just said in a nutshell again it's Jean mm-hmm. Grey in it and Wolverine pausing down at the bottom Wolverine never stands up yes. right in the entire book. Wolverine just Did annoys you know the always... crap out of me in this book. He's so irritating. He's all macho posturing yes. and, hey, bub, all that. I'm just, everything about him irritates you in this comic. All the other and characters And they're probably, work. right. I, I imagine they're trying to acknowledge, this is probably, I guess, just after he went through his feral phase. With a no-nose. Yeah, yeah. Don't know X Men well enough to say, to be honest with you. So, so uh, him losing the adamantium, having the bone claws, also sort of short circuited his animal instincts, and so he became more irritable, more grumpy, less, in my opinion, less fun to read. (laughs) Yeah, I'd go like I I don't. I just found that his constant posing was at odds with the, the the rest of the vibe that the comic was trying to trying to go across. Because like I say, even Jean Grey, who looks remarkably stupid in that outfit, stood next to real people, even in Starfleet uniforms, they at least have the body language be that you feel like he's talking to a real person. It sometimes feels like when he's addressing Wolverine, he's talking to Thingio from Future Armor, the Captain Zap Brannigan, doing mm-hmm. all his dancing around like that, and it's just like just knock it off dude that said Deathbird I think that's her name she foreshadows yes. the the old queen right or did first contact come out at this point uh, no first contact was not out might have been in development yeah looks like the bold queen sat in that chair so yes. Silvestri did a really good job though because essentially he's foreshadowing something Star Trek will do yes not with the, the head as, when we get to it the other mm-hmm. book like basically these two books have first contact in between them. Right. And obviously 30 years, 80 years. Right. For the, for the, <laughs> the crews, but not for the X-Men. I really like okay. Gary Nick. Sure. So first contact came out November 1996. This book came okay, out... Okay, so it would have been around the same time. Yeah, this book came out December 1996. So first contact had been out for about a month. So I wonder if... So sure. it would have been in development I wonder if he'd seen some pre-production art. It's possible. Or if that's what she looks like. Because you're right, with all the tubing yeah. and, and... Or if that's what she looks like in the comics. I don't know. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. I The the cosmic Shi'ar stuff is not something I know especially well. No. No. And even I'm though, just getting that in my Claremont read-through, so... Even here... I haven't got a Deathbird yet. On this page that we're looking at, where Deathbird is introduced, he does such a good job with the panel layout and the, the dialogue. I think MVP here must be Scott Lobdell. Because he does do a good job of doling at all his exposition and telling the story properly really well in this. And it read really quickly, which I was impressed with for what was a 66-page book. Yeah. Yeah. And it's padded out with some pinups, but yeah. Well, fair play to, to Lobdell for, for handling this as well as he did. It's just, you have got that thing we've talked about. The minute the X-Men are on the page with the characters from Star Trek, you there's a bit of a disconnect but then the back half of the book the art just changing so rapidly between pages 
there is nothing more off-putting when you're reading a comic than that happening. Sometimes it's bad enough when a pencil changes inkers. Mm-hmm. That that right. can be distracting. But here, you're changing the lot. Penciler, inker, colorist from page to page. You know, it's funny. I was talking about, like, one of the things I've been trying to do right now is I'm reading through the Claremont run from the 70s. Mm-hmm. And there is a point where the Shi'ar are first introduced in the Claremont run where... You, you're aboard the Shi'ar ship, and it's very obvious that Dave Cockrum and Cl- Chris Claremont are both huge Star Trek fans. The layout of the bridge. Because the, br- <laughs> the bridge yeah. is the bridge of the Enterprise, yeah. and oh, yeah. the captain is Captain Kirk. Kirk. Yeah. No I, Kirk. Yeah. Well, Claremont <laughs> was a massive magpie, wasn't he? Have you got to the yeah. alien issue yet? Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> I'm gone. I'm not, I'm not there yet. I'm I, 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 I just almost a Proteus, basically. Right. So, you, so you've got a lot uh, of good stuff coming up. Oh, yeah. Good, good. And a lot of crap. Oh, right. Also, <laughs> I can't believe we missed the Dr. McCoy gag. My name is Mr. McCoy, madam. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Dr. McCoy, yes. They both turn <laughs> they around. They both turn around. And there's, there's, yeah. there's like, did you build that entire scene around that gag? I'm certain that was the only reason for the crossover. It's like, huh? somebody could make that joke. I love Spock <laughs> nerve pinching Wolverine. I wish he'd stayed unconscious longer, like maybe the rest of the issue. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wolverine in this era is just terrible. Although there's a great moment. Speaking of Spock, there's a great moment earlier on where Gene's trying to scan the ship, and Spock's like, "Oh, fascinating." Yeah. Hello. And he's, so he's using telepathy. That is brilliant, isn't it? Where he's like, "Well, I figured yeah. out that you know I've become where someone on the ship had advanced psionic abilities. No one currently serving on Enterprise has such capabilities. I began looking for other life forms. I did not detect anyway." But I knew about this secret access panel, so I figured if there was anyone on the Enterprise who was going to be hidden, it would be here. And he's just, it's brilliant, because his thought process around, yeah, eminently logical. Well done, Spark. And well done, yeah. Scott Lobdell. Yeah. Although I guess it means there's no Betazoids serving on the Inter- Kirk's Enterprise. Know so. about Betazoids yet? I think they do. I've been retcon that Betazoids see- weren't discovered in between. I don't know anymore. No, I think you might be right. I think I think Betazoid was discovered during the red red shirt era, the red coat. You know the mm. the, the, the movie era. era, right? The, the movie yeah. era. I don't yeah. know yeah. anymore. They've done that many retcons and reboots and God. Why do I know that? Because you know lots of <laughs> useless shit that will never come in useful in real life, James. That's why you do a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Um, for what it's worth, it appears that Deathbird does usually just sort of look like that uh, with the tubes and the right, wires yeah. and stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't think she looks as busy in Sylvester's version. It no, kind of looks a little no. bit better in this comic than the, the image you've just showed. Yes. Who drew that? Yeah. That was from the Marvel Wiki, so where did they pull that? That's an Avengers issue. Uh, so, Steve Epting? Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, Sylvester's doesn't look as busy. But it's still good, it's st- and it still does, you know, give off heavy Borg Queen vibes. So, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Resistance is futile. Yes. <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, the, the sort of resolution such that it is has to devolve into, honestly, a little bit more fighty fight than normally you'd expect the Star Trek crew to engage yeah. in. Yeah. And it becomes a lot more splash pages as well towards the back end. 
than in the mm-hmm. early days. Again, it's sort of like they were kind of rushing to get it done. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and Lobdell's required to do a lot of dialogue on these splashes, possibly to hide. Because if you have a look, again, I'm going to pull up the page on page 26 is a splash, 27 is almost a splash, 28 is a splash, 29 is only two big panels and three little ones, 30 is yeah. again two big panels and two little ones. And then another mm-hmm. splash two pages after that, and it opens it up a bit. It's, it's sort of like, sort of like late era Jack Kirby Fantastic Four, where suddenly you're getting like three and four panels per page. And maybe that's why it reads so fast in the back end. Maybe that opening up of the panels is what gives the action bit its its forward momentum. Because I was genuinely impressed when I read this how quickly it moved, and also how much I enjoyed yeah. it. I mean, the and, and once the X Men have buggered off, you get a typical Star Trek comedy little tag with Spock and McCoy having a big argument about something, and Kurt being take us out of orbit, Mister Sula. Yes, the drawing of the For Enterprise the suffers, doesn't it? Sylvester could draw it does. the Enterprise. Doesn't look no, as good. It looked, it looked quite terrible on some of these pages. Like the source section's yeah. far too big. To a point where I don't think like Paramount nowadays would allow that, because mm. I think Paramount yeah. is very stringent about how the Enterprise looks and how everything else looks. I, I do get the feeling that this was very much rushed out. Um, well, and so they were, part of it is they wanted this out first because Marvel had just gotten the Star Trek license and they wanted to celebrate that by launching with a crossover. Mm-hmm. That's part of why there's all these pinups at the end is they were about to launch several different Star Trek titles. The pinups are... Like Star Trek Early Voyages and Starfleet Academy and all, all of Early that. Voyages is really good. I like early voyages. It a lot. is, and although the art style is closer to some of the back half of this book than the front half, I don't remember it being especially photorealistic as far as the likenesses. Well, I've always thought with early voyages, maybe they didn't have likeness rights because obviously That's Jeff possible. Hunter will have been long dead by that point. I, I don't know if Major Major Barrett won't have been far away from passing away or has just passed away. Two thousand two. All right, so well, this predates that by a lot. So maybe they didn't have rights to her for number one. Spock does have occasional tendencies to look like younger Leonard Nimoy, so maybe they had his. But my understanding is he had it in his contract to sign off on anything. Oh, for, at all. For anything that was anything yeah. that was produced, he had the right to sign off on. Now, whether that means he looked at every single comic book page, I kind of doubt. But they must have Sorry, had enough. Two thousand eight, because she. Oh, for Major Barrett. Yeah, yeah, because she did computer voice instead because she had Conan, done some stuff for that first. She did, yeah. So whether or not he signed off on the rights for early voyages or whether they thought, well, it's young enough in his career, we can get away with it. But Pat Zercher does the art for it, so it's mostly pretty good. Right, yeah. I think there was a Voyager yeah, comic. Voyager's advertised that, at the that, back uh, Yeah, I've never read any of them. Never read the Voyager. No, I, I had an issue or two of early voyages, an issue or two of Academy maybe an issue of Deep Space Nine. I, I couldn't get them regularly because nowhere where I lived stopped them regularly. They didn't last long, did they? No. no. I mean, Dan Abner as... And, and honestly, I was more of a fan, if I'm being honest, of the DC Star Trek book. Don't lie, to be honest with you. Apart from early voyages, because I was a, a big mark for Captain Pike, I always like I always picked up any novels or comics that had Captain Pike in them. And I think I spoke to, I think it was Ian Edgington at last year's Thought Bubble, and he said the, there has been some movement on them wrapping this story up because it was cancelled oh. like midway through a story. About this right, rights, right. And they never got to finish. So he said there has been talk with IDW about maybe 
republishing it and then wrapping it up whether or not that'll happen that would be cool. the other thing at the back of this there is a tom defalco bagley mirror mirror story that dan doherty sent me that he actually sent me a copy of that i remember that being quite interesting i mean he's got mark bagley art so it's not going to soak oh yeah <laughs> overall there's an awful lot of eye rolling when i heard that this existed <laughs> back in the 90s and i yes. never read it and then you two said do you want to come on and talk about it like, oh, okay but i i was very trepidatious about it and some of the things mm-hmm. that I was worried about came to pass. I'm not entirely convinced I'm sure in the screen or comics page works, to be honest with you. But Lopdell's story works well enough that you're able to look beyond it. And it is really only Wolverine's constant grimacing and pausing that takes you out of the story, really. Bringing Gary Mitchell back and merging him with Proteus is a good idea. Mm-hmm. 60s-style Star Trek is... Pulp sci-fi enough that you can connect it to a comic book story. Exactly right. The original Star Trek was flexible enough in its format that, like we talked about earlier, they could do drama, they could do comedy, they could do hard sci-fi, they could do fantasy, they could do anything. And I think later iterations, as we will probably discuss in a minute, wouldn't have got away with yes. this as well <laughs> because they seemed deathly afraid of doing a little bit of comedy and mixing yeah. and matching. Yes. So... We'll see. We'll see. How and, it goes. and and looking at the pinups, like you get the idea that like if they just got one of this artist like just do an entire book. It had been so much better than what we got. Right. This little rush thing. Like while we were talking, I went back and flipped through Star Trek meets the Legion of Superheroes, a more recent sure. crossover, and they they have a uniform art style throughout the crossover, and it works. You know they find they find a middle path between the Legion and Star Trek. Well, they're both which, colorful sci-fi concepts as well. Yeah. yeah. I kind of see that one more. And I do think, and, and that one, because it's also a futuristic setting, so you've got two different visions of the future rather than not just different realities but also different time periods. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that said, I, I remember liking most of the, the Star Trek Doctor Who crossover. The, the Matt Smith era. I got J.K. Woodward at covers mm, at the very so. least. Yeah. And, and of course that one has the, the very obvious but necessary thing of will you put the Cybermen and the Borg together? Of course you do. Why would you not? <laughs> Makes perfect sense. I'm not As that opposed one. to the very somewhat very odd pairing of the site of the Borg and the Sentinels which I guess we should right. talk about. But first we're going to take yeah. a quick break. And then we'll come back with our look at Star Trek The Next Generation X-Men Second Contact from May 1998. Next time on an all-new episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. We'll be right back. Where am I? In the Palace of Glittering Delights. Who are you? I am Andrew Leyland, and for over 200 episodes, I have covered everything genre-related, from the obvious things that everyone talks about, Star Trek, to deep dives into the early issues of The Amazing Spider-Man, via the obscure, such as ITC's experimental science fiction dramas The Champions or Department S. It's very cosmopolitan, you never know who you meet next. In the Palace of Glittering Delights... Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang. Available from Two True Freaks and via your podcatcher of choice. 
Welcome back to Believers to our second issue this episode. That, of course, is Star Trek The Next Generation X-Men. This is from cover date May 1998. The title on this one is Second Contact. Writer on this one is Dan Abnett and Ian Eddington. Um, Eddington. Eddington. Carrie Nord is our penciler. Look, one penciler. It's an amazing thing. You love to see it. Scott Coblish is our inker. Um, John Caliz is our colorist. Chris Alopelos is our letterer. Chip Carter is the paramount liaison, ladies and gentlemen. Julio Soto <laughs> is our assistant editor. Timothy Tui is our editor. And Bob Harris is editor-in-chief. But there's a special thanks to David Ross. So apparently we're picking up right after the events of first contact in fact the summary we get is the little gatefold summary remember these in comics trey oh yeah, oh, yeah. yeah the little summary to hear your cast of characters and here's what's going on at this point man those were helpful back in those days uh, that is masquerading we, under the name dr beverly crusher though yeah right yeah because right. that's not gates mcfadden <laughs> no it's not even a reasonable facsimile she looks like a vulcan in a blonde wig yeah. to paul is that you <laughs> You're easily amused. When but, Greek, she went forward a bit further than she'd planned. <laughs> had to come back again. <laughs> it, no, it's the mirror. Yeah. It's the mirror to Paul. Which oh, she, yeah, they made yeah, her wear yeah. a blonde wig. Yeah. Yeah. Mirror to yeah. Paul. Uh, of course, this explains this is mere minutes later. By the way, I like that we get a little summary here of who the Thunderbolts are. Like, we need an explanation. Uh, I mean, so, again, if... If you're exp- if people who are buying this know the X Men from the cartoon, mm-hmm. then one, these are not your usual X Men that you're going to see. No, so good on them for giving us some explanations of these characters. Yeah. And two, the Thunderbolts. I probably didn't know who the Thunderbolts were in 1997. <laughs> so again, we are mere minutes after the events of First Contact. The Enterprise has attempted to warp back home, but has instead ended up in an alternate version of 1998 their scanners realize that there is alien technology on the surface that can be used to try to get themselves back home and so they beam themselves down incognito in some very very interesting 90s cosplay (laughs) they show up at the baxter building just in time to see the thunderbolts arrive because this just has to be taking place within the first 12 issues of thunderbolts but realizing that maybe, you know, that isn't their best option, they instead go for Plan B, which is a remote mansion in Westchester, New York. Surely, that'll be easier to break into. And so, business casual Jordy LaForge, as well as Data and Troy, attempt to do so. And just wearing the most 90s bowling shirts <laughs> I have ever seen. I do not see why it is necessary to wear these ridiculous uniforms. 
people wear. It's just, Jesus Christ. But of course, Wolverine sniffs them out because he's Wolverine. Yeah. And he attacks them with some bone claws. Gotta hate bone claws uh. so much. Some This is just the, the, the epitome of bone claw era. This had to be right before Wolverine got his, you know, original, his adamantium claws back, by the way. Like... They did it around the time of the first movie. Yeah. I I just hate bone claws. They make no goddamn sense. Like, I, I talked about this on Facebook last night, and our friend David Gallagher chimed in. It's like, yeah, it, was, it wasn't well done. Like, if they... If they had I, ex- I do agree with him. I do agree with him that a better explanation would have been that when the adamantium was removed that a secondary mutation was triggered yeah. and then he started growing his own claws. But him always having had claws is weird and dumb. Yes, it is very weird and dumb. And that would have been a great way to introduce secondary mutations, by the way. Um, yes. Instead of weird diamond form Emma Frost. Um, <laughs> but so there's some fighty fight here until um, somebody mentions the Enterprise and Wolverine happens to be like, that wouldn't have to be Jim Kirk's Enterprise, would it, bub? And of course, that's when you realize... <laughs> That uh, they are all friends, they have some debrief, and that's when Kang shows up. Kang the Conqueror. I Kang is one of my favorite Marvel villains. I have and nothing I'm, against Kang. I have everything against Kang in this comic. Oh, oh no, <laughs> Kang is. I am just dumb. eternally. I am eternally perplexed by all versions of Kang. <laughs> like so, you know, there's that Council of Kangs, right? Um, this is the kids' table. Kang. <laughs> All the other ones are meeting in the council chamber. This one's over this, there. This is not Kang Prime. No, this this one's the one over at the table eating his Play-Doh. Um, <laughs> uh, right, go play in that alternate reality with with the with the Starfleet characters. Yeah, but anyway, he tells them that their recent foray into the past to stop the Borg has really fucked up the timeline which you know is very similar to some fan theories about why Enterprise and Strange New Worlds and Discovery look so different from pre-established Star Trek by the way to the point that they've gone right up to the line of making that canon in yes. Strange New Worlds yes alteration of and the um, eugenics wars yeah. yeah they even mentioned yeah. that here aren't, aren't we supposed to be in the middle of a eugenics war right now yeah, it was something they didn't mention in the future's end episode of Voyager. But essentially, they dressed yeah. them exactly mm-hmm. the same. Yes. Yes. Uh. Yeah, that episode just sort of steadfastly refuses to acknowledge that they had they had said they had set a date for the eugenics war. <laughs> Those strange new worlds is tackle I head on. Yep. Yes. Yep. I love the Robin. Like, a spoiler for Stranger Worlds, guys, if you've not watched the episode. Just the rant the Romulan agent goes on about, like, this was supposed to happen in 1992! She is so tired of everything having to do with humans. She's been stuck on Earth for so long. So long. Let's be honest, if she's stuck on Earth in this particular time period, I feel her pain. Yeah. I was yeah. also stuck on Earth in that time period. <laughs> I, can, I can relate. I- <laughs> so anyway, Kang is like, listen, I'm going to help you guys out to fix this crap. You're going to get these smartwatches that are actually time travel devices, which Tony Stark's going to invent at the end of Endgame. But you guys get them from me now. And yeah, this is the prototype. The, 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 exactly. And so various teams go out. Picard, Colossus, Troy, and Nightcrawler end up in the 
Days of Future Past timeline, at which point Nightcrawler is attacked by Ted Raimi at the bottom of the page there. Joxer, the mighty, at your service. (laughs) (laughs) And then Picard gets chased by a sentinel because that's hilarious. Meanwhile, now, yeah. uh, Wolverine, Data, Storm, and Worf end up in the middle of the Battle of Wolf 359 abo- aboard a Miranda-class starship. I'm certain that won't be a significant Miranda-class starship, just as the hmm. Borg are invading the ship, apparently th- detecting sweet seat mutants that they want to add to the collective, and they discover that the variant that is in place here is... John Proudstar, who apparently is a lieutenant serving under Benjamin Sisko. That's right, <laughs> folks. This is that part of Wolf 359 where Sisko's out looking for his wife and Jake. And Proudstar, we'll get back to that because back in the Days of Future Past timeline, they find Kitty Pride about the time travel back to the Chris Claremont era of X Men. But of course, here she's aided by a young mutant telepath who happens to look just like Tasha Yar. Right. And so, basically, one variant is someone who died in season one of Next Gen, and the other is someone who died in the what was effectively season one of Claremont's X-Men. Yeah. Although, Wolverine calls John Proudstar a founding X-Men here, and I'm just like... That's not that, quite no, right. No, that's X-Men, not right. If, I mean... Yeah. He's he's a guy that had been an ex in the he joined at the same time as Wolverine basically. Yeah, are you just completely discounting the five member team Wolverine? Like, are you shitting on Scott and Gene that much? Most people do, but okay, no, no. I like the original five. <laughs> I, like, I do too. I but like most people. Uniforms. I we we can speak some truth here and say that the Lee Kirby run is bad though, right? Like those aren't great issues. No, they're awful. Oh no. No, they're they're pretty bad. They're pretty bad. It doesn't actually get good until like Neil Adams and um, Roy Thomas show up. But by that point, the writing and even like, then, yeah, I mean, we covered that. We covered the Frankenstein robot. That was bad. Yeah, well, okay, you can fine. Argue a that case. was bad. X Men doesn't get good till they're all new and all dirty. Right. Right. <sighs> fine. So, I love James's resigned side. Wolverine is right that that Thunderbird was a founding member of the team that was part of a good story. He's only got it from when he was an X Man. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. And then Wesley Crusher shows up. Please don't interrupt me, Wesley. I'm sorry, sir. Why not? Because because he and the Traveler have decided that this is the time to show up, and they are like, "Hey, you guys aren't working with Kang, are you? That's a bad idea." Because Kang's going to lie to you and lead you astray. And, of course, it turns out that Kang wants them to eliminate Proudstar and Tasha because that will sever the last connecting tissue of the previous timeline and thus allow Kang to come into prominence. So Wesley and the Traveler do some time jumping, including Kitty seeming to crush on Wesley Crusher a little bit. Which I'm like, mm-hmm. mm, no, I, what, Kitty, Wesley's not your usual type, but okay, fine. <laughs> and then the Traveler transporting the Enterprise to Kang's time ship, and then they have a big yep. old space battle. Although there is a point here I skipped over 
where we got we've got Borg Borgified Sentinels, which yes, very briefly, are, which are just Borg riding in the head cavity of a Sentinel, almost like a mech, and it's somewhat entertaining. But <laughs> you know, there's some fighty fight there, and they part as friends, and the the Enterprise crew return to their timeline, and the X Men return to the to the mansion just in time to be enveloped by a big white light. To be continued in Star Trek Next Generation slash X-Men novel, Planet X, on sale in April. Um, Seriously? Yeah. That was my (laughs) reaction. Seriously? I love Dan Abner and Ian Edgington. I've already mentioned that Star Trek Early Voices was great. Loved every minute of it. Absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. This was everything I thought a Star Trek X-Men crossover was going to be. And I don't mean that as a positive. I honestly... There's less of a, there's less of a story here, for one thing. I don't thing. think this yeah. works at all. I don't think the Next Generation crew lend themselves to working with the X-Men. I don't think that the comic bookiness of the X-Men works at all with the crew of the next generation, whereas at least in the, the original show one, you could kind of go, all right, okay, they've made me buy it. I kind of eye-rolled when Kang showed up, because, again, I just don't think he fits into this milieu. But the minute we get to the end, oh, we're at Wolf Wee 359, and oh, look, there's Benjamin Sisko, and oh, look, the Traveler's showing up. Oh, look, with Wesley... I can barely contain my excitement that all this is happening. <laughs> and while some of it's nice, it is always nice to see Ben Sisko. It's always nice to harken back to the Battle of Wolf 5-9 and give give Ben a little bit of more of his backstory there. But more trauma. And Tasha Yar shows up, and everything we were on about earlier on in the show, about I thought it was just going to be continuity porn, happens. And I could have forgiven all of that if we'd got a satisfying conclusion. But I get to the last page, and I genuinely did not know this when I read this. I get to the last page, and it says, to be continued in a fucking book. <laughs> no pictures! No pictures, no, Andy. It's not, it's not that. It's you, I've just read this crossover that I didn't think was that good, but to read the rest of it, I go and, I've got to go and buy a novel for $6? No no and thrice no (laughs) that ain't happening oh yes i hate this it is revolting more please i didn't think this worked at all i'm completely baffled as to why patrick stewart's not on the cover he must have known he'd been cast as professor x at this point and i don't like pissing on it i don't like not liking it because the back matter makes it very clear they were under the gun they did this very, very quickly. And I suppose all things considered, it's turned out as well as you could possibly hope. And I do like the creators that are involved with it on other projects. But for mm-hmm. me, this just did not work. It's too comic yeah. for Star Trek and not Star Star Trek enough for a comic book. It almost... And again, they were under the gun. They were capitalizing on sort of the peak of Star Trek popularity in the mid to late 90s, as well as X-Men sort of X-Men being very much the powerhouse of Marvel Mm -hmm. comics. If they could have waited a little bit longer, I think the status quo of 
the next gen crew in or after insurrection is a little bit more lighthearted. Yeah. That's a little bit jokier at that point. You could maybe get away with it. Coming right off of their most serious feature-length story, mm-hmm. it's weird for it to be this comic book mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean... Uh, I would- or even... The, the, it's not as not as well-known, but I think a DS9 X-Men crossover works better than a next-gen yes, crossover. Absolutely. I could totally buy the gem Hadar existing in the Star Trek universe. Mm-hmm. But I could even kind of sort of squint a little bit and see the Borg even though I know they were in the pilot episode. Mm. But, you know, I just... It was everything I thought this was going to be. Oh, look, a continuity effort. And there may be tons of similar to X-Men, but they just went over my head. And I was kind of hoping you two would go, no, no, Andrew, here's why you're wrong. Neither of you have. It's... So it also... It's at a weird point in Marvel Comics, right? Because this is sort of at the height of Heroes Reborn, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Must be around here somewhere, yeah. So it's a weird time for Marvel Comics continuity anyway. The art is more consistent across the issue, which is nice. Yeah. I don't care for most of the designs of the X-Men in this era. I don't like that version of Nightcrawler, especially. No. God, no. I like his classic look better. Yeah. As far as for Kang, this is a weird point for Kang, because this this is right before Kurt Busiek fixes Kang in Avengers Forever. Because right. famously one of the reasons for Avengers Forever is because Kang's continuity was a mess. I was just going to say, how do you yes. know this is a bad point for Kangin continuity? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Basically, everything pre-Avengers Forever was a bad time for Kang continuity. <laughs> this is true. Sadly, it is true. But of course, after Avengers Forever, we get, you know, things like the Kang Dynasty. And it's, it's real good stuff. But it's just so weird. Like, like we talk about how jarring the X Men are on the sh- on the Enterprise in the first one, it is so much more so in this one. Yeah, even even more than the previous issue, it would have benefited from it being either the movie versions of the X Men or the the Morrison Quitely new X Men, where they're a little more uniform. They're they're wearing more black leather type looks. Yeah. And uh, spoilers for the novel. Sorry, we're going to talk about this next episode, but like, it doesn't get any better in the novel. It's a shame because no, Michael Yan. If anything, it's worse. Normally good. Oh, it's good. Yeah, it's the prose good. is fine, but like, you still don't get the feeling like that these two universes should be interacting with each other. Like, there's a point in there where Picard is crushing on Storm, and you're just over here yeah, like, it's real awkward. It's real awkward. Wolf, I could Preview see. for next episode. Uh, like, I could see Worf crushing on Storm. I don't get Picard. No, Worf is enga- Worf is heavily engaged in a bromance with Wolverine. Sir, I protest. I am not a merry man. You get a little bit of that from this. Worf is just mm-hmm. Mary Jetsia right. at this yeah, point. Yes. To the point where the beginning of the novel has a a, a wedding reception sans bride. Basically, Worf is back on the Enterprise for the first time since his wedding, and so they throw him a party. No, he's not yeah. so Jadzia with him. No. No. Why would you? She, she's not part of the license. <laughs> right, right. But yeah, it's it's weird. And, and a thing that isn't as true in the comic, but I think we'll talk about when we get to the novel, is that by then, again, I, I like the, the author of, of the novel fine. I've liked his other Star Trek work, but... He writes the X-Men as though they're teenagers. That 
That's just, this is total. Why? And it's worse. Why does then? Or how does then the Star Trek Green Lantern work? Because I've not read that either. Does that work better than this? I haven't read that. No, I've read either. I, I'm curious to actually. And that one is it next gen or is it original? It's series? original. I think. I could see that working better for the reasons we already talked about. Yeah, but, uh, like the same reason that the Legion Star Trek crossover works, and right, and what, like you talked about earlier, the Planet of the Apes Star Trek crossover kind of works. Um, oh, I'll tell you though what what's not good but it's fun is Star Trek Transformers. I read that that was a thing, and I said, "Oh, for God's sake!" Because at some point they plug Kirk into a machine and and build a transformer off of the ideas in his head and so it spits out a constitution class starship that turns into a transformer. <laughs> it's either the best thing I've ever heard or the worst that I can't decide which. <laughs> <laughs> like, the nice thing the nice thing about the comics is when they just go for it. Mm. Like, just yes. go for it. Like, go for the umpmost thing that you could think of for this potential crossover. And like, I, I think a problem that we're hitting on here is that even in comics form, the crew of the Enterprise E seems a little bit embarrassed to be in the story. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Absolutely. Oh. Yep. Yep. I, I have to agree with uh, that. Although, apparently, behind the scenes, Patrick Stewart was very pleased with Kerry Nord's rendering of him. He's all of them. I think he's the best one. By he, far. Yes. Uh, he and Riker both look pretty good. Yeah. Troy, not so much. Yeah. Yeah. Does Patrick Stewart have lightness approval as well? Probably. Probably. So. Another thing that's worth noting, and I think this is in the back matter, but I've read it elsewhere, is the, the editor, Tim Tui, had a very, was much more involved in the development of this than a Marvel editor typically would be because of all of the clearances with Paramount. And so Tui was the one who picked what, what X-Men would appear and... and very much was a, a collaborator with Abnett and, and Edgington on developing the story. Yeah. Although, like, there's points in here where, like, Wesley Crusher's talking about, I don't remember members of the crew having wings. And I'm like, well, obviously you never <laughs> watched the animated series, Wesley. Because... Right. <laughs> there are definitely crew members with wings there. And I have a hard time believing that there are not, you know, winged Federation member planets somewhere out there. Because there are in Babylon 5. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, the Traveler and Wesley, it feels like it, it, it's one step removed from Doctor Who showing up to save yeah. the day. You know, they um, they don't make any attempt to explain who the Traveler is and what no. he's doing with no. Wesley. So if you've not seen Ugh. that one episode, for, for all of the editorial captions and the front matter explaining things, that's one thing that they just don't and, bother. And then with. when I was reading, it, I was like, so Wesley and the Traveler are going to show up, not tell us who they are what they're doing here, why Wesley's <laughs> with this strange dude. I hate the Traveler right. so much. I, I have always hated... His first appearance, I like him in that. Sure. I have always hated the Traveler, and I'm like, why are they letting Wesley go off with this creepy dude? Yeah. I don't understand. <laughs> he needs an adult. Why is his mother saying nothing? Why does his, why does his, his mom clearly doesn't give a shit about Wesley? I'm gonna go off to Starfleet <laughs> Medical for a week, Wesley can stay on the ship, I don't care. And when I come back, and he's, he's dating Ashley Judd. Yeah, good, you, you have him. I don't want him. And then the Traveler's like, should I go away? <laughs> he's gone off to Starfleet Academy and always in trouble with 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 not, what's his name from Voyager? Not Tom Paris. Not Tom Paris. Uh, yeah. They look alike. Right, I don't right. see it. 
He's with the, the first draft of Tom <laughs> Paris. First draft of Tom Paris. I love that they brought him back for Lower yeah. Decks. Oh my god, it was great. I love that they, had, so they actually had that line. Do you not think he looks like Tom? No, I don't see it. I don't see it at all. Yep. Yep. Oh, you know brilliant. something. <laughs> you know something. A Lower Decks X Men crossover would, work. would fucking work. Yes, that would work. Perfectly. Absolutely. Because that that's the tone so of it. Next gen, no, <laughs> it just doesn't. Right, it just right. doesn't jive. It just doesn't gel. A Stranger Worlds crossover would work as well. Yeah. So have any of you read the current Star Trek comic, the the one that stars Ben Cisco? No, it's on my list. It's on my. It's, it's actually pretty good. It, it's a little bit fan fictiony in that it's sort of he's assembling a team of all your favorites from across all the shows. Read the prelude to that in the um, annual because I got a copy of the annual just because Rachel yeah. Stott was at a comic convention. So I bought that just so she could sign it. And then when I read it, I thought, oh, this seems like quite a good idea. Ben Sisko it's put together written, a Mr. Yeah, Impossible the, team. Yes, that's very much what it is. I've read the first volume or so. It's good. There's a spinoff with Worf stealing the Defiant. Mm-hmm. I have a great James um, Arnold score when he does it. <laughs> well, it. It's also fun in its own way. It's, it's sort of the... It's the A-team to Cisco's Mission Impossible crew. Oh, right, I'm in. As long as he paints <laughs> it, it's it black written. and puts a red stripe down the side, I'm totally in. Oh, I wish. <laughs> it's written by the same guy who co-created Halt and Catch Fire, right? I think so. I think so. Which, if you've not watched that series, that is a really good series. I've never even heard of it. I haven't watched it. It is. Uh-huh. It's all about the development of computers and the internet in the 80s through the early 90s and like you wouldn't think that would be good in like a good drama series it is. but it really is okay. I, I, I highly recommend it, it, it for no, nothing less you've got Lee Pace as the main character oh, right. which yeah he, he's fantastic there but I think we've di- I think we have diverged enough that we should go ahead and yeah. take a quick break and they were to come back with a little surprise for our listeners, a impromptu edition of Hellstrom Watch. <laughs> We've not done this in a while. Oh, we haven't. No. There is so, a... so we'll we'll do that right after these messages. Exactly. Hey kids, comics. It was the dawn of a new age of comic book podcasting. Hey kids, comics was a dream given form. A place where two generations of comic book fans could work out their differences, peaceably. It was a humorous place where nothing was sacrosanct, and it was our last, best hope for joy. But all things end. But from endings can come new beginnings. This is the return of a comic book podcast. The year is 2023. The name of the show is Hey Kids Comics. Michael and Andrew are back with an all-new look at old comics and all old looks at new comics. You can go home again. Hey Kid Comics, monthly from Two True Freaks and wherever you get your comics-related podcasts. Hey Kids Comics! Captain's Log, Star Trek, the next generation interactive video board game. Your mission, to save the Enterprise from Klingon warrior Kavok. Who is moving now? Respond! To get to the bridge in one hour or face your doom. Star Trek, the last frontier in video board games. (laughs) 
welcome back to Believers to to Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. We're going to do something we haven't done in a while. I, I probably remember we talked about just before the break. We are going to have an impromptu edition of Hellstrom Watch. Just for those of you who are not keeping track, don't worry, Hellstrom is still canceled. But yes, that has not changed. <laughs> it's not going to change either. But no, no. We're not going to see a surprise revival of Hellstrom, but we are seeing a few surprise revivals in the Marvel media space that we did want to talk about, especially with our guest, Andy. In case you didn't notice, they did announce a fantastic forecast. I believe um, so, yeah. Yeah. And since you had a you used to be a part of a show who had a very similar name to that. What's up? They ripped us off. They really did. There you I'm go. Sure they did. <laughs> So what do you think of that cast, Andy? Um, Vanessa Kirby's a good shout. I like Vanessa Kirby. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. You can't go wrong with Pedro Pascal. I only know right. Johnny Storm from Stranger Things. I've not seen him in anything else. And I have no He's idea really who the guy who's playing Ben Grimm is. No, but he looks more the part than some of the other people who have played the role in the past. Oh, so I'm, yeah, I'm waiting until it gets released, really. Just, you know, again, we always go back to if you look at Christopher Reeve when he's announced playing Superman, you'd look at him and go, this guy's playing Superman? But right, scrawny little guy. The, with gingery brown hair, but by the time he got suited and booted, he looked perfect. So I'll wait and see. Yeah. Yeah. It can't be worse than the other ones. I mean, I know we're now living in an internet <laughs> world where apparently the Jessica Alba ones are now considered good films. No, no, no. they're not. No. No. They're really not. <laughs> Not not for any person who lived through the era. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Yeah, like nothing wrong with the um, cast. But Chris Evans would go on to bigger and better sure. things. Michael Chiklis yeah. had already been mm-hmm. in bigger and better things. Namely, the, the, the he was in The Shield, wasn't he? Yeah. He'd already done uh, that, yeah. Jessica Alba's career. The, they're just a minor footnote in Jessica Alba's career at this point. And in and Eon Grufford just pops back up in TV shows and stuff on the regular. So I don't think any of them have been right. courted to come back and do some multiverse thing but if anyone tries and tell you the retroactive that they're good they're wrong the second one's not as bad as it could be the bar such the bar such that it is for live action Fantastic Four movies is the one that never really got released yeah yeah and and it's not it's not a good movie but it's at least closer to what I imagine the Fantastic Four to be it's recognizable as the FF more so than any of the other three at all Especially as far as Doctor Doom is concerned. Yeah, at least I mean he does some brilliant hand acting. That guy, Joseph Cope. <laughs> no, but I will get you Fantastic Four. So fair enough. <laughs> but yeah, I mean it looks like a good cast. Let's wait and see what the actual <clears throat> film is. I don't think I don't yeah. think the MCU is going to let us down with with the FF. To be honest with you, I think they've got too much riding on it at the minute, especially with the rumors that it's. I'm intrigued by how. I'm intrigued by how how 1960s all of the marketing is. I was so just going to say, but but the yes. rumor that it's going to take place in 1963 <laughs> is particularly interesting. So it's not linked to nope. any of the others at all, and doesn't have to be. Not nope. be their own nope. thing, and it doesn't have to be part of this overarching story that they're telling with Kang or whatever. I'm sure at some point they will be in the mm-hmm. main Marvel sure. universe, especially if your theory is right that they're bringing Doom in to do more of the Jonathan Hickman Secret Wars than the Jim Shooter one. That would just be common sense, quite frankly. But we'll, yeah. you know, we'll just have to wait and see. You mean they shouldn't just do a big toy oh, commercial? God, no. I got the facsimile <laughs> in Secret Wars 1 
because I love some facsimile editions and I'm reading it going, God, I'd forgotten how sure. awful this was. But now it's awful <laughs> in a good way. You're just chuckling right along at right. how inept the dialogue is from such an accomplished professional as Jim Shooter. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also very much got excited when I realized in the the illustration they released to celebrate the, the cast announcement that there was a little Herbie robot. <laughs> oh, good. So Herbie's going to be in it. Yeah. Herbie was serving tea or coffee or something. Yeah. I, I like that they, they seem to have gotten the look for Ben right. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I know it's just concept art, but, like, they've released it. So... What, what what they are drawing looks like classic comics, the thing. Yeah. Yeah. More than, so more than anything, good. me and Michael Bailey were talking about this when the casting was announced. More than any of them, just do the comic lies to the yeah. Fantastic Four. Just do. It's a family of adventurers. It's Space Family Robert Space. Swiss Family Robinson meets Lost in Space. That's what the FF is. They're not yep. superheroes in the truest sense of the word. Give us a family adventure that takes place in space. All the negative zone. Don't go, bitch. Yep. Sure. I agree. Yeah. And in addition to that, of course, we also had the release of a trailer and a bunch of new promotional images for X-Men 97. Woo! I didn't really Which... watch the X-Men cartoon in the 90s. So. I mean, he's got a cracking theme sure. tune. I mean, so... Yeah. Yes. But, like, I, th- I think uh, Trey and I were both prime age for that cartoon when it came out. I was seven when the when the show started. The I think Trey, you were six. I distinctly remember... I distinctly remember as a child going to some big special event at a convention center, and they had people dressed as Wolverine and Spider-Man signing people's comics and stuff. Wow. Was it Jonathan Frakes? <laughs> no, he was Captain America, wasn't he? Yeah. Yes, he, he was. was. Captain America, so. No, I didn't... At, at the White House, I only really watched yep. it, like, bits and pieces. I'd, I'd sit down and watch the odd episode here and there. I watched the Spider-Man one religiously, and obviously Batman, mm-hmm. the animated series, yeah. and Superman. And they did cross over that yeah. one time. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I didn't really watch the X-Men, so the fact that they've gone back to the nostalgia well here... I hope the people that like it like it. You know, I probably, it's I probably yeah. Like I mean, so I, I will say, fun fact: the the no spider sorry. of of those shows, the Spider Man show was better. Mm-hmm. But part of that was X Men, even as an animated series, had this barrier to entry in terms of continuity. Yeah. They started in the middle of things with an existing team and kind of just expected you to know some of the characters and situations. Oh, a lot of people in that cartoon. They must have yeah. just throwing I, your audience into the storyline. That must have worked on some level. I, I do like that it seems like at least for a few episodes, they are doing the Nito storyline where he shifted to a more heroic persona and had the costume with the big M on his chest. Oh, maybe we don't need the big M. I know we're getting it. <laughs> it's been, it's character it, It's happening. It is definitely yep. happening. Headmaster Magneto. You know, Trey yep. and Andy, you talk about the, the Spider-Man series. You know that big Secret Wars adaptation they did in the Spider-Man series at the, like, the last season? Um, I vaguely remember that. The, the, so, and, and again, they bring in an X-Men there, Storm. I found Storm. out that the reason that Storm was the one that brought, was brought in for that is because her voice actress was the only one living in California at the time. So it's the only one that oh, can get into available. the studio. <laughs> can, so you get, can you get down here in half an hour? Yeah, sure. All right. That's it. <laughs> because a lot of them are Canadian, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah. that's why we didn't get like Wolverine Zoomed in, in the Secret Wars. Yeah. What's funny is I watched a, like a, a 
Christmas-themed horror movie over the holidays, and in it, there, there's a, a segment with uh, a Santa Claus character played by the guy who was the voice actor for Beast. Oh, wow. And he basically looks like he should play Beast in live action. <laughs> oh, yeah. He, he, he's got, <laughs> like, he's a biker in a few things. Yes. Yeah. yeah. He, he, he does some, he, he's a live action performer as well and yeah he usually plays heavies and bikers and usually has lots of facial hair and yeah he looks like he could be beast it's funny yeah. but just like for some reason I got so much more hyped for X-Men 97 than I did for the Deadpool and Wolverine trailer like, I'm not... I mean <laughs> it's because the nostalgia buttons right yeah I guess so it's just like I must have a bowl of cereal, and I will watch this with a bowl of cereal in my lap on Saturday morning. I want this. I want this right. now. It doesn't matter that it drops on Wednesdays. You're going to wait till Saturday mornings. <laughs> I don't know about that. I might watch it again on Saturday. Because <laughs> uh, I have zero self-control. Um, I will say that the Deadpool movie looks fun. Yeah. Um, was it I, I barely remember the second one. I love the second one. I, I, I think I missed it in theaters, and so... Things I watch on streaming tend to go in one ear out the yeah, other. I get that. I literally watched the Suicide Squad this afternoon. Uh, I I do I do remember liking Cable. Like I thought they sort of nailed his look and personality and everything. I think Deadpool three will be fun, but I don't tend to watch trailers yeah. for films I'm going to watch. I tend to stay away yeah. from them. That's I fair. mean, there are exceptions. Like I will watch the FF trailer just to see what it looks like. And decide, right, well, let's sure. just wait till it comes to I, streaming or am I going to the cinema to watch this? I, I've gotten to a place where I'll watch sort of the initial teaser mm-hmm. to, to make sure, yes, this is something that I'm interested in seeing. But then, one, yeah, like you say, once I've made the decision, oh, I'm definitely all in on that. Like like Dune Part 2. Yep. I didn't really need to watch any trailers for that. We're in the bag for that. that original novel, it, I mean, yeah, it's my favorite sci-fi book of all time. I liked Part 1. They, they've already got my money. It's the reason I haven't watched anything beyond a teaser for Ghostbusters Frozen Empire. I'm like, sure. I, I, I know I'm going to be my butt in the seat, you know, first weekend for that. So Might as well be surprised by exactly. everything. I don't need more information. And I think that's... God, I think we're maturing as human beings, Trey. I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand. Now, now, that said, when when the James Gunn DC stuff starts coming out, there's going to be a little bit of, okay, sell me on this. Yeah. Apparently, that's the reason they canceled Superman and Lois. Bollocks. Because uh, well, that they didn't want competing Superman productions. Uh, I think that's bollocks. Yeah. Everyone forgets this, but I, when Superman and Lois started, they did like their upfronts or whatever, and whoever was in charge at the time, it was a lady, as I remember. She said, "We've already pre-sold this show to foreign territories for four seasons." For four seasons. So yeah. when they were they were dilly dallying at the end of season three, I said to Mike Bailey, "It's going to get a fourth. They've already pre-sold it. They would have to give back a right. lot of money to foreign right. territory." And so they cut the yeah. budget, but they didn't. No, cancel. so they've still got a fourth season to sell to those people that there's already pre-bought it. And I think it was always going right. to be on the chopping block though. Then, unless it was getting phenomenal ratings for the CW, and it right. isn't. But also, it was pre-sold further out than the other superhero shows and so when the ownership of the network changed those were all on the chopping block immediately this, that when there were contractual yeah, obligations because the smartest yeah. thing the producers of Superman and Lois did despite what you the gnashing of teeth on the internet 
<laughs> Once again, the internet is wrong. The smartest thing Superman and Lois's producers did was say, no, this is its own thing. It is not in anywhere connected to those other shows. Because I can guarantee you, if that had been a CW Arrowverse show, BBC One would not have bought it. It wouldn't have had any interest right. in it. And though you've just cut off a major territory. Because over here, Batwoman was bought by Channel 4 because they'd had massive success with Gotham. The other Arrowverse shows were on Sky. So... <laughs> Kettle surprise, the Crisis and Infinite Cross Worlds crossover happens. Sky can't show the Batwoman episode. Channel 4 show the Batwoman episode. It means absolutely jack to the audience of Batwoman. They right. don't want that happening mm. again. And so and so you suddenly had to keep track of what network things were Batwoman on. Batwoman wasn't so even on. That happened for a l- Batwoman wasn't on mm. the oh, right. when Sky showed the other episodes. Oh. And started up um. later because Channel 4 waited a bit to show Batwoman. And I think you'll find a lot of that was happening around the world. If they weren't on Netflix, and we never had the Arrowverse shows on Netflix because the rights are sold to different broadcasters and different streamers in foreign territories. So that was the smartest thing they did. They said, no, this is its own thing. It has nothing to do with the other Arrowverse shows. But Tyler Hoechlin, yeah, 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 yeah. We know he was in episodes. Forget it. But but so was right. Bits. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We know that this Lois was in other episodes. Forget you it. You don't need to have yeah, seen it any of it. matter. Yeah. It's irrelevant. And that meant people could just Well, and, and even you can always just sort of pull the thread of, well, it's all in the multiverse. You know, oh. they're, they're loosely connected that way doesn't mean you're going to have Stephen Amell showing up. I think the best thing that show's done is not have those people show up. It's a Superman show. It stands on its own. And I think that's why it's been as well received as it has, to be honest with you. Probably. Yeah. And and similarly, it's not like they cancelled the, the Matt Reeves Batman sequel or spin-off series just because they announced a Brave and the Bold movie. Well, I have another conspiracy theory about that as well. I think... If Gunn had got in there early enough, I don't think the Batman 2 would be happening. I think G- I think oh, really? Matt Reeves has either got a development deal or a lot of friends at Warner Brothers, and the Batman is the only product they had that made significant bank in a COVID world. I think, I think somebody's leaned on him and said, no, no, you're leaving that project alone. Right. He's kind of gone, oh, all right. Then. But I, I do appreciate that thanks to that, there is this acknowledgement that there are... DC Universe stories, and there are Elseworlds stories. That's fine. In in a world where multiple franchises can talk about the multiverse and no one bats an eye, that's fine. And if they wanted (laughs) to, they could bring Brandon Ralph back for a six-part miniseries. And I think that'd be grand. Yeah, I'd I'd watch watch it. Yeah, because that film's problems are nothing to do with him and everything to do with the people behind the camera. Right. Who... Are mostly persona non grata right now. So anyway. <laughs> you bring him back and you let him do a Kingdom Come type thing, where he's a slightly older Superman, and let him let him be his own man and not just be in Christopher Reeve's shadow because that didn't help him either. That did him no, no favors. Right, right. Like that, it had to be a direct sequel to Superman. It had 2 to be a direct sequel a to a film that had, that it came out twenty years ago. But we're not even going to acknowledge that one. It's going to be a direct sequel to the one that came out thirty years ago. Oh, but by the way, it's not going to be a direct sequel because technically, in the one that everyone saw in the cinema, Superman and Lois had sex when he had no powers. But this kid has got powers. Right. So it's actually going to be a sequel to the Donner Cut that nobody but the hardcore fans have seen. And you're like, every single decision here is the wrong one. (laughs) (laughs) Except for casting Brandon Routh, which was actually good. I have no problem yeah. with that. Yes. Play the yes. theme. Play the theme. Yep. Play the theme. Yep. 
Yes. Which, you know, I, that's one of the things I like about what Marvel's doing with, I think, the X-Men. They're like, okay, we're accepting that the 92 animated theme is the theme for the X-Men. We are just accepting right. that. Anytime we reference... And so whether it's Ms. Marvel or Doctor Strange or whatever, if there's a mutant present, we just play a few notes from that theme. Da, 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 da. One of the best things yep. that the Spider-Man films did was embrace... Just embrace it. They just embraced that it was... <laughs> yeah. uh, Really yeah. include it in every one of his films. I think it's in all of them somewhere, isn't it? Except maybe one of the Andrew Garfield ones. Somewhere, yeah, in some yeah. version. Yeah, it didn't the, become the main think, theme until the Tom Holland movies. But yeah, you keep that right because Michael Giacchino did the big orchestral version of it. Yeah. God, Giacchino, he, he's just hmm? so good. Like I think I really feel like he's an underappreciated film scorer yes. at this point. I. Yes, I, I think he is sort of as far as big blockbustery kind of stuff, kind of the heir apparent to people like John Williams. He's arguably yeah. responsible for the best post John Williams Star Wars score. Yeah. Yes, and he um, and I, I like his Star Trek scores. Yes, best yeah. thing about the film. Yeah, That's and also he 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 directed a nice little special that we all liked. So yeah, we'll find out. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, got his start doing music for Disney theme parks. That, 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 that tracks. That makes that sense. Tracks. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh man. Anyway, so that it's a, a, a that's an interesting diversion we did there. So a sure. tangent. I there mean, we go. But it's been a while since we had a good tangent. It, it really has. But loved listeners, we're not done with X Men Star Trek crossovers because, as promised, we're talking about the novel next episode. Yeah, the novel oh, Planet X. Planet X. I look forward to listening to you two talk about a book I am never going to read. <laughs> oh, you're not coming back for that one, Andy? <laughs> <laughs> I'll just let you. I'll let you two. We will read it so that you don't have to. I don't have time. This time is not a comic. It is a a novel. Our Star first. Trek: Next Generation, X Men, Planet X. Technically not. No. Technically not. We did that Ghost Rider novel. Oh, that's right. We did. We did do that Ghost Rider novel. Yeah. <laughs> of course, we had the author um, on for that one, so... Get about to read the book, then. <laughs> Star Trek TNG X-Men Planet X from 1998, written by Michael Jan Friedman, who is not exactly a nobody in the world of, no. of Star Trek novels. Uh, so, the pedigree is right. <laughs> yeah. But Andy, tell our lovely listeners where they can find you on the internet. Tomorrow you can listen to my son Michael and I talk about another Star Trek crossover Star Trek Planet of the Apes is that (laughs) two great science fiction 60s properties that taste great together I'll let you decide when you listen to it so that's tomorrow you know it's like we plan this stuff (laughs) right I have I have recorded a new Palace of Glittering Delights I'm yourself and I'll be releasing that as soon as I've edited it the top five films that came out in the wake of Star Wars that may have flopped, but are actually pretty damn good and you should watch them. Battle Beyond the Stars. Is the Black Hole one of them? One of those two films that you just mentioned is, the the other isn't. I'm not going to tell you which one. (laughs) And of course, Star Crash. (laughs) Keep getting it wrong, Star Crash. Star Crash is not the... What? (laughs) Because because you said best. (laughs) Yes, I said good. Oh, okay, sorry. (laughs) I know it's got the Hoff in it, which instantly makes it a classic. Good the Mystery Science Theater version is fun. Yeah, it is fun, yeah. I'm Carolyn Monroe. Robot with a southern accent. 
That's in black hole. No, it's both. Yeah. Oh, good. Well, there you go. <laughs> that's why. That's why I only picked one of them. More, m more science fiction films should have robots voiced by Slim Pickens. Oh. Frankly. Oh wait, you just spoiled which one it was, by the way. Uh, well, never mind. There's four others there on the list. I mean, it was. I assumed it was the one that was the better movie. <laughs> you say that, school. but I fell asleep watching to watch Black Hole. I'm just saying. Aw. I might have been tired uh, though. So, so yes. Yeah, so new episodes coming up of Hey Kids Comics this week, yep. and then Palace of Glittering, Del Glittering Delights in the near future. It's, yeah. it's recorded. I've just got to edit it. Overlook Dark Knight's on hiatus Very while good. Michael Bailey moves house. Yeah. Yes. He's we will bring cross that country. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we will be bringing it back when he's settled in. Yep. Very good. And of course, you can always find us. Um, you can email us. Our email address is tombofideas at gmail.com. We're on social media, most places. We're on Blue Sky at Tomb of Ideas, Instagram at Tomb of Ideas, Facebook, facebook.com slash Tomb of Ideas. We are still technically on that other website, but you may have noticed we don't post a lot over there anymore, and there's good reason for that. Uh, if you want to find yep. us, interact with us, go sign up for Blue Sky now. It's open to everybody. <laughs> That's true. And of course, our entire back catalog is found on cinepunks.com. That's cinepunks with an X. All of our shows are there, along with other great podcasts like The Carnage Report, Cinema Smorgasbord, the flagship Cinepunks podcast. Just a week or so ago, put out an episode about Godzilla vs. Hedera and Godzilla vs. Destroya. Uh, I've been meaning to check that one out myself. And so make sure you check out all the great stuff at Cinepunks.com. That's right. And until next time, two believers, live long and prosper. Engage. Cool. You have been listening to the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. Until next time, Tomb Believers, Excelsior! <laughs>